For our guest today, the death of Trayvon Martin opened her eyes to an important truth. Black mothers live in a different America than white mothers. Thanks for joining this important conversation. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We are On Boys Parenting Podcast. I am Janet Allison of boysalive.com, joined by my co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. Thank you for supporting the following sponsors. Hey, Jen, what are you doing this winter to take care of yourself and your family? Winter is always tough for me. It's dark, it's cold, all kinds of blah goes around. I've started taking Sambucol every day. I really like the samples they sent us, Janet. I do too. I've started taking them as well. And you know what? I just feel kind of happy with myself that I'm taking care of myself in that way. Just having that extra little boost in my wellness routine. I like that there are so many different options too. We got a sample of the gummies. We got a sample of the drink powder and the syrup. I love the gummies. And I gave one to my 18 year old to to see what his response was. He said, solid, which is very high praise for an 18 year old boy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) We listeners, we are talking about Sam Bucall. This is powered by nature super fruit, which is black elderberry. It is a dietary supplement. So you can incorporate this into your wellness routine. Go to sambucolusa.com. That's S-A-M-B-U-C-O-L-U-S-A.com. And use the discount code BOYS15 to get 15% off of your next order. We want you and your family to stay in good health this winter. Sambucol is another way you can do that. If you've been listening to us for a while, you've heard me talk about Jen's newsletter, the Building Boys Bulletin. She is on top of what's happening locally and globally for boys, and she puts it all together in the Building Boys Bulletin, which comes to your email inbox every Monday. And I will tell you, it is the first email I open every day. For a very, very low price, you can subscribe and get this in your inbox also, Building Boys Bulletin. Just go to buildingboys.net and click on the red subscribe button. You won't be sorry. You will be the mom, the dad, the teacher in the know about what is happening with boys. Nefertiti Austin's son was six years old when she realized he'd have to learn that his race and gender could get him killed. That is not a lesson that I have had to teach my sons. My sons, as white boys growing up in the United States, have been free to run around and play with toy guns and plastic weapons in a way that Nefertiti's son has not. 
she's had to think through how to navigate a world set up to challenge her son's very existence. Now, as we're both, both moms of boys, I am sure that we've encountered some of the same parenting challenges. Boys are boys to a certain extent. And yet my sons and I have been supported in ways that she and her son have not. And as she navigated her parenting journey, she began realizing that parenthood, motherhood in America is very white. As she points out in her 2019 book, Motherhood So White, the default parent in American culture is typically a married white woman with white children. And so she didn't see her experience reflected. And when I read her book, I knew we had to have her on because I'm afraid that sometimes we further perpetuate this idea. Welcome, Nefertiti. Thank you so much for having me. I love that intro. Your son is a high school freshman, I believe, at this point. Yes. As you pointed out in your book, his lifespan has uh, correlated with Obama became president. This seemed very hopeful. And then he was six when Trayvon Martin was killed. And you went from thinking about which preschool do I want? What kind of educational concept to how do I keep this child alive? Yes, exactly. And I'm still thinking that way. Right. And it's been 14 years. 14 years old. Um, he's not a little boy anymore. No, he's 5'10 and wears a size 12 shoe. So we have conversations already about when you're out in the world, you are seen as a man. Right. How does, how does that land with him? Does he get that? Or is it still like, oh, mom? I think he gets it because I notice if he and his friends go out a couple of times, I've overheard when he, has his, he and his friends have gone out and uh, like they'll go ride their bikes and they're going to Krispy Kreme or something like that. And I've heard him say to them, if we are stopped by the sheriff or LAPD, it's yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And I thought that was great. I was so proud because it let me know that he was listening and I hadn't even given him the speech yet. So he, he, he beat me to it. Mm. And it's got to break your heart in a sense that he feels the need to have these conversations. You know, it's terrible, but for communities of color, for black families, this is our norm. And mm -hmm. I would be remiss as a parent, as a mother, if I didn't equip him with everything, you know, before he leaves the house. And again, it's none of it is to make him feel bad, but it's just to make him aware and to keep him safe just to the best of his ability. I mean, even with all this information, we know that anything can happen at any time. And so I try not to spend a lot of time on it. But again, it, I, I have to, I, I really have no choice. And I think that he has accepted the fact that he is seen as a black man in America and that protections that your sons have, he does not have. And so he has to conduct himself accordingly. As I was reading your book, you know, you became a parent in a kind of non-traditional way, particularly in your community through the foster care system. You adopted your son as a single mother. Right. So in some ways you were already, you knew you were going against what the norm was. Right. Right. Yeah. I, 
I wasn't thinking, ooh, let me break conventional norms. Because <laughs> <laughs> that will be so fun and exactly, easy, right? <laughs> exactly. One more thing to have to wrestle with. No, I was thinking that I really wanted to be a mother and that feeling superseded anything else that was happening in the moment. And then in typical uh, net fashion, I'll figure the rest out. I'll figure it out as I go along. <laughs> That there's some truth to that for all of us, however you become a parent, whether it is you plan to become a parent, you didn't plan to become a parent, adoption, birth, what anything of parenting, we're figuring it out as we go. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, uh, you know, you didn't think, let me challenge the conventional norms. Mm-hmm. For me, so much of parenthood has been discovering that there are norms there that I didn't even know existed. Yes, my friends and I joke about uh, when things happen, we say, uh, oh, go grab your uh, parenting book because it's on that, those pages that are written in invisible ink. You know, those pages, you know, so, okay, look, I'm on my, what page are you on? I'm on the same page. It's in, in invisible ink and nobody can read it and we don't know what we're doing and we don't know what's going on. And the good news is we're all miserable together. Yes. There you go. <laughs> I love the invisible ink. That's great. Talking about norms, as a woman, I didn't realize all the ways in which gender also affected boys experience in the world. And so it struck me in your book, you're talking about your son is four years old and men in his life being insistent that handshaking is the universal male greeting that at four years old, he need to shake hands. And you wrote, it had never occurred to me that there was an expectation for little boys to adhere to a specific masculine salutation. Yeah, that was interesting especially you know like when you become an adult and when you become a parent you think of all the ways you'll do it better or different than how you were raised and so I was not raised in a super affectionate household so that was something that was important to me to to really instill and have children who are not overly affectionate but to be more affectionate so it was a stretch for me And so here I'm thinking I'm doing something because I'm going to avoid the whole man box and he's going to be comfortable in him and his skin and be able to give a hug and all of that. But uh, my grandfather was really like, no, no, uh, boys, we we shake hands. (laughs) No hugs. Shake hands. No no hugs. Yeah. The other thing, I I, I confess I have not read the entire book yet, but I, I just have read the part about about learning to pee standing up. Yes. And, (laughs) you know, the things we never think of when we're parenting, right? (laughs) Exactly. I like what you said, you know, as parents, we want to do better. And each of us has our own individual definitions of what that means. Uh, You know, as a, as a woman, you're well aware of so many of the harms that have happened in the world you knew about the man box that you know this whole repressing emotions isn't good and you wanted something different for your son and yet the community around you said hey uh this is still a thing and if your son is going to exist in this society he has to know how to navigate it yes yes and it's still very much a thing That's something that I struggle with. My youngest son is about the same age as your son. My youngest son is 15. Okay. Yours is yours 15 or 14? 14, but he's about to be 15. So this trying to prepare them for the future in which I'm hoping it's okay for them to share emotions while navigating the space right now, where in many places it's not creates a lot of tension for me. I would agree. My son goes to an all boys high school 
And so just kind of hearing about what's going on and he absolutely loves it, but I suspect that at school, he's definitely far less emotive. And then even simple things like asking for help. I'm like, did you ask the teacher for help? So I'm noticing, and I'm, I'm like, that's a Y chromosome thing, just refuses to ask for help. And I'm like, why the people are there for you? Did you ask your friend who's in your class? No. And so there's this sort of mm -hmm. shut this, this curtain that has fallen. It's interesting mm -hmm. to watch and yeah. frustrating. Right. It's interesting. It's frustrating. It's this balance of, I want you to be able to do this. And yet I don't want you to be a target in the here and now. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I would love for you to share about your journey at the beginning when you were thinking about being a mom and you're looking around for where are the books, where are the blogs, where are the articles that reflect my journey, my experience as a Black woman adopting outside of your family. Will you talk about that? Sure. So way before I wrote Motherhood So White, way before I even dreamt it would become a book, I like, you know, I think most people planning to become parents, you look for information. And in some respects, it's kind of all around us. I mean, the motherhood story, I mean, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere you look, there's parents magazines and there are blogs. And so this would is the early part of the 2000s and so blogs are kind of catching fire and uh, reading those and and movies of course that have been around around forever and it really wasn't until I mean I noticed before but like I really noticed when I wanted information and because there were no children in my family who needed a home so that was off the table for me and if mm -hmm. I was planning to adopt my other options were international adoptions which was super expensive and unnecessary we've got all of these children mm -hmm. in the foster care system in LA County so I can just look in my backyard or I could go the private route again, just didn't seem necessary. And so I know to do sort of the external things in terms of, I know how to sign up to become a prospective a foster adoptive parent. I know how to take the classes. So those things were easy. Mm -hmm. But when I was looking for like these details that we're talking about, like the curtain that falls, these boys become teenagers and they don't want to ask for help and, and going against cultural norms and societal norms by intentionally adopting a little boy and not just any little boy, but a black boy in a society where black boys were and still are not held in the highest esteem. You know, what would that look like? And having had parents who were addicts, so I was raised by grandparents. So that was already an experience I was familiar with not being raised by parents. Mm -hmm. So where was that story? for people mm. like me who had not been raised by their parents, but raised by family members. And that's super common. I mean, not, I mean, black people aren't the only people who do it. I mean, everybody does it out of necessity. And in our community, it's something that we've done mm -hmm. and we will continue to do. So, you know, where were the kinship stories? I couldn't find anything. And then, okay, so raised by grandparents, single, looking to adopt on my own, no uh, reproductive issues. And I am heterosexual. So there, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that. So I just didn't see myself centered in any story. There might've been anecdotal stories, but I just didn't see a black woman, a single heterosexual black woman wanting to adopt as a front and center story. I, I never felt like I was centered 
in the narrative. And that was very frustrating. And the other thing I began to notice, even in adoption resources, that everything, again, was geared towards white families. And yet the children in foster care, children of color, we have the highest number of children who are in uh, foster care. So that was um, disappointing. I don't know that it was surprising, but it was definitely very disappointing because I am a person who likes information. And even though I seemingly kind of just uh, jump and then and then look. <laughs> <laughs> but you want to find a net at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I'm hoping something will catch me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did what a lot of people do. I, it's so funny, lately I've been telling my kids, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And I didn't invent it, but I, I put it on the page and I thought, okay, this is too much. What can I do? So I'm fortunate. I know how to write. I know how, how to articulate my feelings. And so that's how the writing began on this particular subject. I know over the last year, two years, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, how are mothers handling everything? We've got work and work has been shifted at home and no childcare. And what do we do? And there's been all these think pieces. And Janet, we've had our friend Chandra White Cummings on the Mm -hmm. podcast before. And I, I know in some conversations with her, she's like, black women have been dealing with this for ever. Why is nobody coming to us? Why is our perspective being left out of this? Uh, Nefertiti, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because that's a huge erasure and a loss of so much knowledge. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I agree with that. I think so for our black women, we don't make a big deal out of it. I think we're doing a better job now of really kind of talking about the toll it is taking on us, on our mental health, on our physical health. But we are raised to, we deal with it, we got to move forward, and we don't have the luxury to sit around and whine about it because the dishes still need to get done. They still need to get to school, still have to help with homework. And if you have a spouse, you know, he or she still needs support still have to go to work because if I don't go to work, okay, well, there's no money. So then there's no tuition and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think we just are in the business of getting it done. And in many respects, it's to our detriment. You take a look at suicide rates among black women and just the outcry of mental health services needed in our community for black men and black women. And then we are in this environment that is still so very racially charged. And I just think that black people, I think we operate from, I think there's almost like a level of PTSD that kind of floats around in the background for us because of the racism and sexism and just all of the things, all of the aggressions, microaggressions, macroaggressions that we deal with on a daily basis. But we filter. We, we don't have time for all of that because it is the basic day-to-day things that have to happen. And so that affection that I was talking about earlier, so often I know that Black women are not portrayed as being all loving and warm and, and you know affectionate and doting on our children. Sometimes we just don't have time. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out. 
and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is, deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, Increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. It's telehealth. You can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit. With free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. We're so spent mm-hmm. by the end of the day that there really isn't time for that. And when you have more than one child, you know, the second child, third child gets the shaft. <laughs> and I feel so sorry for my daughter because she's super warm and fuzzy. And, you know, mom, I just want to talk to you and I just want to spend time with you. And I, I'm like, I just need, can you give me just a couple of minutes? And I'm hoping that she'll fall asleep before I really have to engage because I am exhausted. Thank you for that confession because you are most certainly not the only parent who has ever felt that way. And then sometimes, I don't know about you, but there've been times I'm like, fine, fine. I will 
spend time with you or lay with you as you go to sleep. And guess who falls asleep yeah. first? <laughs> Hands are raised, listeners. Hands are raised. Absolutely. <laughs> what you said, there were there were a couple threads in there I want to pick apart. You know, in the business of getting it done, as a writer myself, this has so much to do with whose books get published and whose don't. And what I mean by that is when you are in the day-to-day, I am trying to survive keep a roof over my kids' heads, keep them fed, keep them alive. I don't have time to create a book or to do a podcast. And so that definitely influences whose voices get heard. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a lot on us. And especially I'll I'll say most recently during the twin pandemic. So 2020, just gosh, our whole world just blew up. So between COVID and then racial reckoning, So the good news was Motherhood So White was suddenly discovered and it had been out about like six months. And then I got so many invitations for interviews and Zoom meetings and this, that, and the other. So on the one hand, it was like, whoa, people see me Mm -hmm. and they want to learn about Black motherhood. I'm interesting. I'm in vogue. But what I understood as many Black people did was more than likely this will be a moment and when white people get over feeling guilty, then I, you know, I kind of go back into not necessarily obscurity, but you know, things will kind of quiet down. And in the midst of everything that was going on, so many of us were inundated with tell us what to do, or I want to interview you and I'll send you questions. And there was still so much labor that was expected mm-hmm. of us to mm-hmm. do. And it was free labor. So it's like, wow, I'm suffering just as much as you are. I've got an added layer because this is driven by race and um, white supremacy. And you want me to do even more labor. You want me to tell you what to do, but you haven't asked me how I felt, Mm -hmm. how all of this is impacting me, how afraid I am for my child when both of them are outside. And when my son rides his bike to my aunt's house, So she's like a two minute car ride. But when he rides his bike to her house to pull the cans out every Sunday, I'm clocking him. Mm -hmm. And we live in a good neighborhood. We live in a really good neighborhood and I'm clocking him. And Mm -hmm. if after a certain point goes by, I I don't want to alarm him, but I'm kind of thinking, and then he'll come on and he'll say, oh, well, you know, Aunt Carolyn, you know, gave me something, a snack. And so that's what kind of took so long, but I shouldn't have to time him. Right. But, but no one's asking us, like, how do we feel? So that that fear on top of everything else that needs to happen, it, it, it still it, it's with us. It just hums. It's just something mm-hmm. that's just with us. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious in as this as your book got noticed, as as you came to the forefront, are there other voices also other black moms, other black women that are talking about the same thing? Is this oh, definitely. Yeah, good? it's uh, certainly uh, a few more books came out after mine, which is great. I got a, a notice on Instagram this morning about another woman who's got a book coming out on motherhood, um, which is wonderful and fantastic. And, and hopefully it'll be more than just, you know, one or two titles per year. Mm-hmm. And even when I got started, when I was searching for an agent, I mean, you're, you know, you guys are writers, you know, that's a process in and of itself. And being told then, um, oh, the market is saturated. So you're going to really, you're going to have a hard time getting another book published or getting a book published period about motherhood because the market is saturated. 
who is it saturated for? Right. Exactly. Like, I have <laughs> Wait gone a to minute. the library. I went to the bookstore. <laughs> I have asked. I'm telling you, it's not yeah. saturated. Yeah. It's it's not saturated. And I mean, okay, I was listening to NPR, uh, taking my daughter to school, and there's a, a book that's coming out about Julia Child. And I thought, wow, another one. And how many movies have been made about yes. her? And I mean, I can just think of so many stories have been that have been told over and over and mm -hmm. over. And the angle is different, of course, but we are not given that benefit. And in the parenting space, it is still white mothers still have a lock on parenting, parenting, what's important, what's relevant, what's timing. And those stories still get published and they still get pushed and reviewed by New York Times and, you know, things like that. Our, our stories do not. Yeah. And I, I, you know, as a, as a white mom, I, I don't know if I would have gone to the bookstore looking for a parenting book and picked up your book. Sure. So how do we get, you know, how do we get that crossover going so that we all can share the, this story? Yes. And the other thing I find interesting is people assume that I self-published and I know what really? the assumption is about. And the assumption is because no one would publish a book written by a black woman writing about motherhood writing about race and, and and adoption it becomes that's the other thing it becomes niche but it's not a niche story it's still parenting absolutely and, yeah. yeah yeah reading your book and, and talking to you and talking to others i realize that there's so much value if we include all these diverse perspectives parenting is cultural parenting yes. is based in our communities and so we all have our own cultural practices, traditions, but the more we can learn from each other, maybe we don't have to read the invisible ink on the page of the book that nobody wrote, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I agree. And there's so much fun that we could have um, together. I mean, hello. Right? I mm -hmm. mean, children at a certain point are children. And they, they need to learn how to pee on the potty, for yes. instance, <laughs> yes. and how to get safely from point A and point B. And community and culture, there's context over all of that. But I guess I am, I'm stuck in a sense at, I don't know, I don't know where I fit into this. I don't know how I can further, um, support other people when I, other people of other cultures and other races, when I know, like, I don't have the history. Sure. I didn't, I'm not a black woman. I don't right. have black children. I grew up in a very small place. And I also feel like I'm just asking you to do what you said. Don't do like do the emotional labor and tell me what, yeah. what, what to do. I don't want to do that, that either. So I think they're. <sighs> yeah. Well, you know what? Okay. So the thing about the labor. I did tap out after the Capitol riots last January. So I wrote an article for the Washington Post. And, you know, so once again, I get called racist and things on uh, social media because I wrote about that. So uh, I tapped out because I felt like I'm being asked to write okay, what was that experience like watching that with my kids? And, you know, of course, never dreaming that that would turn into a riot as watching it. Like, oh my God. Yeah, it was happening in, yes, real, in real time. time as we were watching. Absolutely. We were, on, I was standing in my kitchen. I'm not sure where you were, you were, Jan, but like I'm standing in my kitchen and my mouth is just. Yes. 
Yes. And having to translate to my then eight-year-old what's happening. And then I'm calling my teenager into the room because he might as well watch it too. So let's get this out now. We're going to talk mm -hmm. it through as we're watching it and, uh, you know, writing about it. And so I tapped out just in terms of writing about race and, and then this whole brouhaha about critical race theory. So I, I did write an article. It'll be out next month. But I really shied away from all that because I was like, okay, again, we are being asked to do a lot of labor with regard to what's happening in the world, but what needs to be addressed still isn't being addressed. So then Kyle Rittenhouse, he gets off. And so for us, it's like, okay, so he shows up at a Black Lives Matter rally and, and, and he gets to claim self-defense. So once again, we feel undervalued, we feel mm -hmm. not seen. Mm -hmm. And so, I really just had to take a break. And so um, it's definitely been a very interesting ride. But the flip side of that is if we don't do the labor, then you don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, Jen, you don't know what to ask. You don't know what yeah. to say. You Then you are not aware of, of, you know, a book like mine. And so then we have to do it. So in terms of Black women saying, hello, world, you know, we have always shouldered so many things at once and held so much inside. It's because if we don't do it, then it won't get done. And if yep. we don't talk about it, then the information doesn't get out there. If we don't take the time to write about it, then it doesn't get out there. And so, you know, hopefully it won't always be this way, but I understand, I understand my charge. So this is, this is my charge in the world. Mm -hmm. What I hear you say is there's such a need for support. I mean, yes. talk about hurt and, and, and pain. And you exist every day in a world that you know is not valuing all of this and that's asking you to solve problems without saying, hey, how are you? Yes. You are raising a 14-year-old Black boy in America in 2021. And I mean, it. we've made progress since 1821 and since 1921, but we are not where we should be. Oh no, not even close. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm working on a, a book myself right now and it's it's about raising boys and one of the points is teaching and supporting boys as they develop emotional intelligence. And one of the things that occurred to me in part from reading your book, like it's one thing to talk about we need our boys to feel and talk about their emotions. It's very 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 new that it's safe maybe for some people to do this. Enslaved black men could not cry or show their tears or their emotions when their, you know, when their wives were raped or their children sold away from them. You don't go from that not that long ago to right. really emote. Right. Right. Well, I mean, we don't even have to go that far back. I no. mean, um, you know, even asking why, why was I stopped officer can get a black man, black woman killed, killed arrested, detained, mm -hmm. you know, unlawfully, but it happens all of the time. And if you ask, if you question so often, then you are painted very broadly with, well, that person's sassy, oh, that person is aggressive, which is, you know, certainly a, a word that's applied to black 
people, communities of color, they're aggressive. They were being aggressive and that's a negative term, not assertive, but being mm-hmm. aggressive, right. which is two different things. Mm-hmm. Right. The angry black woman stereotype versus, uh, hello, I actually have a lot of things to be angry about and I'm standing up for myself versus yes. I'm standing up for my family. That's a whole thing that I'm sure you navigate all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the angry black woman versus the badass. And so black women aren't seen as badass. And I remember like looking at these parenting books, these mom books and, you know, badass becoming a thing that you could put in a title of a book or naming Mm -hmm. a blog or something like that was a cool thing to do. And so she was badass. She wasn't angry. That's, but if you said angry woman, then we already knew who we were talking about. And even Michelle Obama wrote about yes. this in her book that she yes. struggled with that label yes. and how to how to navigate how she was presenting to the world and, exactly. and having to step away from try to step away from that stereotype from that label. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Supporting moms who are parenting boys is very much our mission here. And as a white woman, I am aware that black boys and parents of black boys have challenges that, that I don't face personally, but I want to make sure that I include those voices. I want to do what I can to help. Um, what are some things in general, in terms of, you know, parenting and including voices and supporting those who historically and currently do not have that same support. What are some things that those of us who are currently blogging, podcasting, writing books, what can we do? Well, you're doing it, which is you invited me on your show and we're having a wonderful conversation about it. And I found that in many instances, I was like the first black person, first black guest, male or female on many podcasts, which is curious. So Mm -hmm. I think casting a very broad net, is not that hard. There's so many people are open and receptive to telling their story. You just have to reach out to us. I think don't be afraid to reach out. We need an invitation and, you know, more than likely people will say, yes, here's an opportunity to uh, have our stories told. So I think any opportunity to amplify diverse experiences, I think that's definitely important. Book recommendations are definitely huge. You know, Christmas time comes out and there are all these listicles that get going and making sure that your book list that, you're, that you suggest or your movie list or, you know, your article list includes a Black mother. I mean, that is definitely a way and, you know, word of mouth just to say, hey, have you read Motherhood So White? You might find it interesting and, mm-hmm. you know, give it. And even if you don't like it, you know, that's fine. You don't have to like everything you read, but give it a shot. Be open to reading a perspective different from your own. Yeah. Listeners, I think you're going to like this book. <laughs> Check it out. Nefertiti, would you tell us just a little bit about your son? So he's 14, he's going on 15, and the world may look at him and see black man. Tell us about your son. Not even close. So <laughs> <laughs> he is a gentle kid and definitely um, a very bright kid and he loves, okay, so was it summer before last, he decided he was going to customize sneakers. So he has spray paint everywhere. So he's definitely, he has an artistic leaning. 
and he just got his Fortnite privileges back yesterday. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story, I bet. There's a story. So in typical teenage boy fashion, he is a huge Tyler the Creator fan. He loves video games. He plays lacrosse and he watches baseball and he loves his little sister. He antagonizes her, of course, as Big Brother's and uh, like to bother their younger siblings. Mm -hmm. And we've got two dogs that he is very much enamored with. And he's a good kid. He's an all around good person. I think about not only do I love him, but I like him. So he's a kid mm -hmm. you would want, you'd want him in your class. You would want him on your team. You'd be fine with him riding in your car for carpool. And yet he is a 14 going on 15 year old boy. And one of my all time most popular blog posts basically poses the question, are all 14 year olds assholes? And the answer was basically yes. That would, be, that would be a resounding yes. And it's a conversation that we seem to be having more often these days. And I'm often staring at him like, what happened? to my little angel and I'm just staring at him and I'm like, mm, how many years till you go away to college? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What will it take to get you out of this house? <laughs> well, and what we know from Jen's experiences, they do grow through this age and stage and they do come back as, you know, people you want to hang out with. But what we also know is you adopted your son, so you didn't go through pregnancy. But I think this stage is a lot like when you're about nine months pregnant and you're uncomfortable enough that you, that's like, that's the only way you could ever look forward to birth, which is, <laughs> it's not necessarily a pleasant experience, right? So I really think these teenage years are getting us uncomfortable enough to be like, get out. Okay. Okay. I received that. And I, I've been thinking like, hmm, our relationship is changing as it should. And, yes. he, and he's wanting his independence. He's not necessarily going about it the right way, but <laughs> I, I have to do. believe that the ship will write itself. And ever since he was a little boy, I said, listen, when you go to college, you have to go a plane right away. And so in his middle school years, he'd, he'd say, um, well, I want to go to UCLA. That's where I went. And I'm like, no, you can't go. And I'm so <laughs> happy. I started that conversation with him early because I'm like, dude, uh, you're going to have to go east of the Mississippi. You just go. Be gone. <laughs> And I'll see you on the holidays. So there is a lot to be said for that. Listeners, if you have little boys, this may sound crazy to you right now, but Nefertiti, I'm telling you, my oldest son lives in Tennessee now. I'm in Wisconsin. He's been down there for almost five years now, Janet. Wow. And you know what? It's a lot easier to get along with him when he's in Tennessee love than it. when I have to live with him all the time. Because guess what? I love him so much. And we are different human beings. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay. We're going to make it. Thank you. You are, are definitely going, going to make it. And listen, you are welcome to come back at any time over the next four, five, six years as you're navigating this, because it's tricky and you've never done it before. And it's an adventure. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I have my seatbelt on. <laughs> That's the best As you, you can should. do. <laughs> Maybe a helmet too. Yeah. Just a suggestion. Okay. Okay. Earplugs. Earplugs are always good. Okay. Uh, listeners, if you have not checked out Nefertiti's book, Motherhood So White, I highly recommend that you do. Whether you are white, black, brown, whatever your parenting experience is, there is a uh, 
especially as a mom of boys, there are some very universal moments in here, navigating the man box and the men in your son's life and sports and that whole thing. Um, it's a thing. And Nefertiti has written about it. Where else can our listeners um, find some of your work and, and keep up on what you're doing currently? I have a website and you can find me at nefertitiaustin.com. And my books are sold everywhere and Amazon, Barnes and Noble, a lot of independent bookstores carry my books. So I'm really proud of that. And the mm -hmm. library, I think almost every library in the country has copies. And so I'm a huge fan of the library and uh, it's just wherever books are sold, you can find me. Awesome. There's going to be links in the show notes. Longtime listeners, you know, I put, always put up the links. Thank you so much for your conversation with us today. Good luck as you continue to navigate the tween and teen years with both of your children. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nefertiti. You're welcome. Okay, how? How do we raise great guys? We talk about lots of the bits and pieces here, but Janet, where can our listeners get some more support for learning how to raise next generation men? And it's, Jen, it's learning and it's also unlearning. It's so important to look at what we do know, what we want to know, and also how we've been operating. And yeah. our guys, Jake and Jonathan over at Raising Next Gen Men have put together an amazing course. I've been through it. I learned new things. I learned terms that I hadn't known before. And this course is available online and you can, you know, spend a few hours and get yourself up to speed on masculinity, how we raise great boys and men. It is at nextgenmen.ca slash shop. Use the on boys code for a discount. They are talking about gender identity with the curiosity to learn and unlearn what we think we know. And the course is put together so well. There's videos that are, you know, quick and easy to listen to and journaling questions. It includes resources and additional activities. It is going to set you up to be that advocate for your boy that you need to be. It's Raising Next Gen Men, and you'll find it at nextgenmen.ca slash shop and use that on boys coupon code for a discount. Thanks for joining on boys real talk about parenting, teaching and reaching tomorrow's men. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.